Two sisters lived on separate sides of the states. One in NYC and the other LA. They both moved to Chicago and decided to stay. Now here's their playful podcast packed with Kid Lit Parlay. Children's Books. Are they really that great? Talking children's books is with Kate and Fuse 8. Children's Books. Why, what, and how? Fuse 8 and Kate will break it down for you now. Hey, Kate. Mm-hmm. It's above 90 degrees. Yeah, we went from being super cold to super hot. Could go back to super cold tomorrow, but you know another day when it was super hot? When? Fourth of July. Really? It was. You weren't here? No. Oh, it was super hot, but guess what I got to do? What? I got to march in a parade. Ooh. I did with the library. Oh. With their book cart drill team. Uh, yes, this is Handing out books to little children <laughs> on the route. Yeah, I went from sort of not really jealous to yeah. absolutely not jealous. With my two small children on bikes. Uh-huh. It was actually really fun. Oh, well, that's I good. highly recommend it. Uh, everyone should go in a parade. Did on you the see fireworks? I did see fireworks. Nice. I saw them in a much better place than I had ever seen them before with live music that played stuff like Mary Poppins and oh, stuff. It was awesome. Lovely. So, yes. How was yours? Uh, I went to Minneapolis. Nice. I did not see fireworks. Well, I saw Ooh. maybe a couple from bef- from afar, but I have a dog that is absolutely petrified of fireworks. Oh, so no. whenever uh, a firework went off, he would run for his life. So who the dog that initially was afraid of everyone in the world would actually be afraid of fireworks? Yeah, who'd have thunk it? That's a weird one. Yeah. yeah. That's weird. You know what else is weird? What? This podcast. <laughs> yep. That was a transition that sort of worked. I believe on the very first episode of our podcast, I say... You're so weird. Yay! Well, yeah. then we're... Consistency is key, my friend. Yes. And uh, and we are consistent, because what do we do on this podcast? We discuss children's picture books. And why do we do that? Because we want to. Correct! And what do we hope to attain? Information? About? Things? Quality, Kate. Quality. Oh. We're attempting to determine the quality of Oh, the yes, books. yes, yes, yes. And yes. if they have any. Sure. Because they may have at some point, but then lost it over the years. So we are going to determine if they are classics or crap. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, Today's book begins with an editorial. Uh, What now? A literal editorial. Uh, So there's this book about children's books called Hornbook Magazine. Okay. Uh, recently they were... Oh, it's a book called magazine? Nope. It's a magazine called book. <laughs> okay. Yay! We're all clear now. <laughs> a horn book. We could go into what a horn book is, but it's a whole long thing. Okay. So. Needless to say, there was an editorial in that. And in the editorial, well, they were talking about the Coretta Scott King Book Awards, which are given to black and African-American uh, authors and illustrators every single year of children's books. It's a good award. And they were interviewing Linda Sue Park, a Newbery winner, who is an author. Uh, and it mentions how many young, diverse writers these days say they were inspired to write by the absence of books about themselves. And as Linda says, quote, there were people doing that work. There were creators battling conditions a thousand times less woke than today, overcoming the obstacles, publishing one book at a time into what must have seemed like a void. No marketing, no WNDB, no social media communities. So the book that, come, that we're going to be doing today came out before the Coretta Scott King Awards, which are celebrating their 50th anniversary. And we're going to, it's a complicated book. It's a complicated question. Does that mean it's racist? 
No! Really, really, really not! Okay. But it'll be interesting to see how it's held up. Okay. So I'm gonna pull it out. Here it comes. On the count of three. Buda, 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 buda. One, two, three! Bye! John Steptoe. Does his name ring a bell? Yes, question mark. We did uh, Mufaro and his beautiful daughters a uh, long, yeah. long, long time ago. Yeah. Way at the very beginning. Almost. Doesn't look anything like this. Not a, not a jot. This yeah. was his first book. He made it when he was 19. Wow. Yar. What have we done with our lives? Not a picture book when we were 19. <laughs> nope. That's, that's the sad story state of that. So go take that book and read that book. Okay. All right. While Kate does her reading, I'll give you a little strange background information about this particular book. The idea that the book Stevie might have some connection to William Styron's The Confessions of Nat Turner is an odd idea, but it highlights a very early instance of an own voices controversy in the history of American literature. Leonard Marcus writes about this in his book Minders of Make-Believe, and in that he notes that when The Confessions of Nat Turner came out, you had a white person writing in the voice of a black person. This was not new then, and certainly not new now, but people, maybe for one of the first times, were beginning to have some issues with that. Well, the book wins the Pulitzer Prize, people are talking about authenticity, and then suddenly Stevie comes along, and as he put it, quote, the national media were quick to seize upon the story. Uh, because of the fact that it was so authentic. So it says that Life magazine profiled Steptoe and reprinted his first book in its entirety. So think about that. Life magazine put the entire book of Stevie on its pages. Grandiosely, he says, proclaiming that Stevie, quote, ushers in a new era of realism in children's books. Very interesting. Back, 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 back. You're back. You are back. Yes. You have returned. I have. You've read a book. I did. It did not take long. It did not. This is interesting to me. All right. Did you think it would take long? I thought it might. I don't know. It's not a very long book. Oh, okay. Well, then maybe it wouldn't take that long. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So I read this book mm -hmm. called Stevie. Stevie. I wasn't sure if it was Stevie or Little Stevie. It's Stevie. It is Stevie. It's just Stevie. Yeah. No little There's about no it. There's no little... Is there a little in the text? Is it called... Yes. Oh. Yeah. So interesting that they did not call it Little Stevie. I mean, I think the very last line of the book is... Yeah. The last, the last line of the book is Little Stevie. So that's Aww. why I thought it was going to be... Yeah. No, apparently not. Nope. So, right. So the story starts off with this kid and his mom. Right. And the mom is like, hey, you know, Mrs. Mack, um, I'm going to keep her little boy while she works during the week. And she says, and I thought this was interesting, he'll stay all week and his mother will come pick him up on Saturdays. Z. Saturdays. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. what kind of arrangement is this? Right. Where you're going to be watching this kid, not just for a week, but multiple weeks. Yes. And then... Well, multiple days during the week, except for one day, right? Well, right, but then Saturdays... But then he's back on Sunday, is what it right. sounds like. Right, okay. 
So then the next day, the doorbell rings and Mrs. Mac comes with her child. And I'm mm-hmm. looking at, you don't see Mrs. Mac from the neck up, but you see her jacket. And I'm like, oh, Mrs. Mac has money. Does she have I, money? This to me looks like someone who has a nice jacket, who has money. And maybe hmm. Robert's mom, Robert being the main character, has his mom working as a nanny. Maybe. And also, it seems like this kid is going to stay in at night, Yeah, too. he's definitely staying at night. So yeah. that's why, I don't know if nanny is necessarily right, but it's definitely a caretaker. It's definitely a caretaker. I'll tell you what all the reviews called the situation. They called it a foster care situation. Oh. Yeah. But Which totally changes it entirely. Foster care, but that, that doesn't make sense if you pick up the child once... And the, the well, child calls his mom mother. Right. But that that is that is the case with foster care, not adoption or something. It's foster care. So you have a parent somewhere, but someone else is taking care of you in the oh. interim. I think that's what the situation is. Though usually with foster care, the child, when we think of it, we think of the child being taken from their parent without, with, where there's like a bad situation and the child has been removed from the parent and has been put in a home. But this seems to be a case where the mom simply cannot... She made take, the arrangement. She made the arrangement. Yeah. So that's interesting. And, and I don't think there is a term for that aside from foster care. But yeah, like you say, yeah, I don't... Yeah, it was I, like nanny, au pair. No, because uh, it's more... It's more personal than that. Yeah. yeah I just thought that was interesting. No, it's very interesting. So, and I like how the narration of the story, which is in the voice of Robert. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's the boy. Right. Who lives with his mom. And, right. Yeah. It's not perfect English grammar. Right. It's like, not the Queen's English. Yeah. Right. It's written like how a... How a person... Like a black kid would talk in 1969. Right. Right. Um, like, for example, the line, I wish my mother would bring some of his toys over here to break up. He doesn't say mm-hmm. some of... It's S-O-M-M-A. Right. Some of his toys. Yeah. Yeah. Which I was like, once you get into hearing that voice, it's yeah. very easy to read this, and I prefer that rather than, you know, how yeah, to be. Yeah, it wouldn't feel particularly authentic otherwise. Right. right. Yeah. So Robert does not like Stevie or Steve <laughs> or whatever you want to call the right, kid. Right, right, yeah. Because the kid, he says, is very spoiled. Like, he'll walk all over his bed with his shoes on, and, and, his, and Robert's mom won't say anything. He'll, you know, take toys. He'll break toys he'll um you know do whatever he wants and (laughs) it kind of i don't know when when robert mentions how spoiled stevie is it kind of reaffirms my assumption it's like a family of money Mm -hmm. that stevie Mm -hmm. comes from but it also sounds like it could be only child syndrome I think this is only child syndrome, like, and 100%. And Robert is just kind of blaming is, this child yeah, on... Yeah, he's never been an older sibling. Suddenly he's got this little person in his home... That he has to take... Who is just walking everywhere, getting away with murder. And he has to take him everywhere, and his yeah. friends make fun of him for having this kid with him. Allow me to say that as an older sibling, I feel for Robert. I understand what he's saying. And as the younger sibling, mm-hmm. I don't understand it all. Exactly. So... <laughs> So, but I totally get, there. there's a point in the book where he says, sometimes people get on your nerves and they don't mean it or nothing, but they just bother you. And I was like, I totally get that. Yeah. I totally understand. I completely understand This kid that. might not mean anything and it mean any harm, but it just gets under your skin and it just bugs the crap out of you. Yeah. So that's, I, 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 I like that, that a kid... Mm-hmm. 
in a book actually vocalize that because I feel like other kids reading this could be like, oh yeah, I, I, I get that too. Yeah, I think the book got criticized uh, at the time by some people who were like, how come he's not nicer to the other child? It's like... Because that's not the real world. It's not the real world. <laughs> like, you don't get this annoying little person in your home and you're suddenly like, love! You know, that's not natural. Unless you've always wanted a I guess, sibling, but even but, then, yeah. But this kid, has, as far as we can tell, never expressed that he wants a younger sibling. Nope. And he's essentially gotten one. Yeah. But Have fun with that. Then one day, um, Steve's, or Stevie's mother and father come to pick him up on a Saturday and they say that Stevie's never going to come back. And that was it. And they just left. And that's the end of it. And it's like... And I feel like Robert yeah. wanted closure because... Yeah. He's reminiscing on all these things that, you know... You know, he used to blame Stevie for, you know, the last piece of cake that he took. That mm-hmm. he blamed it on the other kid. They used to play cowboys and Indians on the stoop. Which, mm-hmm. pause, what the heck are these horses? Oh, boy. Are they are not stuffed? Those are. They what look, are those? They look They're like, like full. It looks full like it came. Horses. It looks like it came off a carousel. And it now, does. <laughs> and exactly now they're like, like carrying it around, but I don't understand where they came from or why they have two that giant is, horses. Yeah, because usually think of you when you think of people playing. Forgive me, the outdated game of cowboys, cowboys and, and Indians. Indians. You have the. You cow- think of the hobbledehoy. You horse. have the horse head. The on horse a stick. head on the stick. The hobbledehoy. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Hobbledehoy. I do believe that's the technical term. If you, gentle listener, <laughs> disagree with me on the term hobbledehoy, please email us at fusekdate at gmail.com. <laughs> anyway, I believe that's a hobbledehoy, but these are not hobbledehoys. They're no. not rocking horses. Or, no. Or they, unless they've Maybe brought them up a stoop. I don't know. I just saw that. It is that was really like, big. Those mm, are big that's old awkward. horses. Yeah. So, and then he... Yeah, he's got no closure. Yeah, so he's like reminiscing about, you know, how, uh, you know, they would play boogeyman and hide under the covers... Or, and this is what I don't understand. He says, and him and me and my friends used to cook Mickeys or marshmallows in the park. What are Mickeys? Oh, I have no idea. What's a Mickey? Mickeys or marshmallows in the park? They would cook Mickeys. Like, would that be a hot dog? Like, I'm thinking, like, these days you could say a Mickey D and you'd mean a hamburger, but that's, this is way before anyone was calling a hamburger Mickey D. All right, folks, we just uh, did some internet searching, and we cannot find the answer to this question. Mickey spelled M-I-C-K-I-E. What is it? We, we need somebody to tell us, because we have absolutely no clue. Because they cooked them in the park. They did, with marshmallows, apparently. Like, is it a s'more? I, I, I thought it was something you... I don't know. Anyway. You called that a s'more. You right, called it a Mickey, exactly. so I have no idea. Yeah. But, all right, so then he's he's thinking about all these good times, and he's thinking about how... Steve used to call his mother mother, but he called Robert's mother mommy, which I was like, oh, definitely had a stronger connection with the woman yeah. that is not his mother. Yep. Um, and then while Robert's reminiscing, his cornflakes get soggy Aww. and he thinks he was kind of like a little brother, little Stevie. I was like, oh, so I like how like it's cute that the narrator turns around and ends up missing him at the end. I feel like that's yeah, that's that's sort of what makes it all kind of worth it in a way. Yeah, like oh, for a little while he had a little brother. the The illustrations are definitely few and far between, mm-hmm. and I don't think whoever printed this mm-hmm. did the paintings justice. Oh, that's interesting. At all, like well, let me see. It's this... way too. It's way too dark. This edition 
that we are looking at is from... Yeah, once again, my library comes through. I'm pretty sure this is an original 1969 edition of this book. And I don't know, it, it just... And yeah, know. it's... Yeah, they're, they're muddied. Um, they're muddy and they're dark and... I, I don't know, I, I, I wish that they were a little clearer. Well, it is still in print. Um, I know that it celebrated its 50th anniversary not that long ago, and so it came back in print. So it's entirely possible that the new editions that are not this old do have brighter art. Yeah, I'd be interested to see. I, I think this would be a great book for a kid who's having trouble with a new sibling. I mean, r regardless mm -hmm. of race, I think that this can apply to anyone at any time. The only thing that I feel like it really dates the book is the Cowboys and Indians part. Totally dates it. And possibly the Mickeys and Marshmallows in the park. But, right, yeah. But yeah, I agree. The gun, there's also a gun in that scene. Uh, right. Which doesn't fly quite so well these days. Right. So uh, apparently his the artist that he really liked, this John Steptoe guy, was an artist named Georges Ruault. Are you familiar with the art of Georges Ruault? No. I just looked at it and I can see oh, it. Oh, yeah. When you look at it, you're like, oh, the shaded eyes. Yeah, the, 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 the blocked. The flat composition. We'll have to put colors. on Instagram kind of like a side-by-side -side Yeah, comparison. I think it, because once you see it, you're like, oh, You can totally okay. see the inspiration. Yeah. It's totally the inspiration for that art style. And of course, which he, of course, changed multiple times. He he was so talented. He could do so many different kinds of art. Yeah, this, this doesn't is, look anything like Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters. Which, in turn, doesn't look like, I think he did a book called The Tale of the Jumping Mouse, and I think he did, um, when daddy daddy is a monster sometimes and they all have different that's cool. art styles yeah he was he was extraordinarily talented um and i want to say foster care children in picture books do not appear in this day and age i have never ever ever run across a picture book about foster kids i have run across the occasional middle grade novel but not picture books hmm. so this book to this day is covering a topic that if, if, if that's what this is. Yeah, if that's what it is. Because they never use the term, but did that, but was that the term in 1969 anyway? God only knows. I don't know. It just seems like a very natural situation that obviously would occur. I mean, it's either that have. or the family has money and yeah. they just... It, that, and that could be too. That wasn't what anyone assumed, but it, it could well be the case. So the fact that this book even came into publication, it... We could argue what is the first book by an African-American about African-Americans in picture book form. Um, it's not this, but this is kind of kind of regarded as one of the first in a lot of ways. And how did it even come to be? Well, there was this editor named Ursula Nordstrom. She was always looking for talent, basically. And... John Steptoe's in high school. His art teacher says, hey, show this to Ursula Nordstrom. Two thumbs up to that art teacher. Wow. He does. She immediately, like, just goes for... He just shows her his paintings. He doesn't even have the story. And then she kind of, like, works with him uh, to develop and craft the story. Um, but the sad thing is they only made two other books besides this together, and then no more. No more books after that. He made other books, just not with her. So, okay. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting how it began. And, of course, his son, uh, Javaka Steptoe, uh, won a Caldecott for a book, uh, picture book biography of Basquiat a couple of years ago. 
he himself never won uh, a, a, a Caldegat award. He got honors, I think, for Mufaro and possibly something else. But he never got the gold. And then his son got the gold. Aww. Which is good because he died He died super young of, uh, I think it was a drug overdose. Oh dear. I know. Which is very sad. Kirkus gave it a star in 1969. And what I like about Kirkus is you can actually look up their reviews online. And so I read the review, and it's pretty good. Uh, I guess the best part is to say, the paintings have the strong contours, glowing colors, tight composition, and flat planes of Rualt. Yes, I do. They could be displayed independently, but separated by two pages of text, they succeed, except in one case, in solidifying and projecting the emotional undercurrent. In a word, eloquent. Yeah, again, I wish it was, like, brighter. It's so yeah, muddy. What's the one case where the art doesn't work? Good Is it the horses? <laughs> it's gotta be the horses on the stoop, right? I don't know. I, like, what did they consider a complete and utter failure in terms of art? I am fascinated. They, because the way they say it is clearly... Like, we all know which one of these pictures doesn't work. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like... I literally have no idea what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I got no idea. I'm, I'm just flipping through right now, and I'm <laughs> like, uh, they all look pretty good to me. That's one person's opinion. That one doesn't matter. Yep. Anonymous okay. <laughs> reviewer's opinion, yes. Uh, people liked giving this book away for free. Life magazine printed the whole thing in its entirety in 1969. Cool. And this is cool. I was doing a little research on this. If you look it up on YouTube... A, there's a 1969 Sesame Street bit where Gordon, the one with hair, because he was the one who came on in 1969, reads the entire book. Wow. So I'm going to put that in the show notes because it's pretty good. Cool. Uh, so yeah. So now ratings time. Yes. Yes. So I wish I had a better print job, as I said. Yeah, I agree. But the narrative and the story, I really like. And I also like the unanswered questions, like, why does Stevie not like his mom? Mm -hmm. Why did they go away? Why did Robert's mom take care because of him Because when you're a kid, all? nobody tells you nothing. Yeah. I mean, when you're a kid, like, all the, like, things just happen to you. The world is thrust upon you. You're given a little kid who lives with you. Now the little kid's taken away. Why? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I like the unanswered questions. Yeah, I do too. It's totally and I And I like how, I like the voice of the narrator. I I, I just think, I gave it a 7.5. I yeah. like it. I, I would agree with you. I would, I would, you know what? I think that's a really good number. I'm also going to be a 7.5. Sweet. So this is definitely a classic. Definitely a classic. That's nice. We haven't had a clear-cut classic in a while. Yeah. So that's good. Letters time. Do you remember on the Where the Wild Things Are episode where I said that Ursula Nordstrom, same editor as Stevie, she said in a letter to Maury Sendak that her assistant, Fran Manushkin, had suggested that maybe you would want to change that last word of the book to warm instead yeah. of hot. Yeah. So Fran wrote in. Oh. Um, Fran's a buddy. <laughs> uh, she's, boy, she's got good stories. Fran says, Betsy, it has taken me years to discern the sneaky cleverness of Miss Nordstrom. <laughs> she told Sendak that the suggestion to change the word hot to warm came from me, so that any anger from Mr. Sendak about this cockamamie idea would be directed at the foolish young editor who suggested it instead of his awesomely brilliant boss who can do no wrong. Huh. Yes, that's how tricky she was. And I said, I knew it! 
It seemed weird that she'd do it this way. Did he see through the ruse? And she replied, I think he read Ursula's letter and dismissed the suggestion within the blink of an eye. He and Ursula knew the book was perfect. Why she bothered to write the letter is the really odd thing to me. Hmm. And I agree with that. That is sneaky. It's sneaky and strange. Thank you, Fran. And then Laura wrote in. She said, uh, I just listened to your uh, Where the Wild Things Are episode. I can't believe Kate didn't notice the changing phases of the moon. My husband and I have had huge philosophical conversations about the time frame in which all of this is happening and whether it is reality or fantasy. I personally believe that Max actually sailed away and his mother has been putting dinner out for him every night. That is the most terrifying interpretation yeah. of that book I have ever heard. Yeah. Because I have never even noticed the moon changing. I you mean, go back and look at the book. I noticed it, but I just, I didn't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Well, Judy, I actually also mentioned it too. And she said uh, that she read a blog post in the Tales of an Elementary School Librarian titled Waning Crescents and Wild Things, which is also about the changing moon. So hmm. I will include a link to that in the show notes. Cool. And finally, Sarah wrote in with three, maybe four different, no, no, just one, Oxford English Dictionary definition of rumpus, which goes back to the 18th century. Oh, so... So he most certainly did not make up that word. No. Not even slightly. No. <laughs> Grown-up things we like. Um, I saw Toy Story 4. Oh, how was it? I missed it. Oh, my gosh. My kids saw it without me. Yeah. Uh, you need to go see I it. I do want to see it very, very much. It's it's very funny. Aww. It's a lot funnier than I expected. And the uh, henchmen are scarier than the villain. I've heard that. The ventriloquist dummies, right? Well, you gave it away. Well, they're in the trailer. Everybody knows they're in the trailer. Oh, they're terrifying. They scared me for like hours after the movie. And there's kind of like the joke that they don't talk. Like you think of a ventriloquist, like the whole point of a ventriloquist dummy is to talk, but they yeah. do not. Yeah. I, I mean, the the way that they kind of tied the story together, I thought that it was going to end at three and that was going to be it, but I, I really liked how they tied it. It's really not the kid's story. It was never about Andy. It was all about Woody. Yeah. So, so really, Toy Story 4 is all about Woody's story. That's so good. I highly yeah. recommend it. It's super sweet. And you have to stay for the very end of the credits. Oh, good Because they'll know. have things like in between the credits. Yeah. Stay until the very end. Okay. That's yeah. good to know. Yeah. All right. Excellent choice. Uh, mine is, so this is a children's book in my hand. It is Midsummer's Mayhem by Rajani LaRocca. It is a adaptation of Midsummer Night's Dream where it sort of takes, remember, in a Midsummer Night's Dream, the whole fight between Titania and Oberon is over this changeling boy that she got from a friend of hers in India. So this is an Indian-American take on it where it's contemporary and a girl befriends uh, well, let's just say she, she, it's, it's very Indian inspired and very Midsummer Night's Dream inspired. And it has recipes in the back. Huh. And there was one that I wanted to try. So look what I got for you. <gasps> Did you bring me cookies? I brought you three cookies. Yes. And these are, as these are going to sound weird. They are, I can attest they're delicious because my children are mad at me for taking any of them away from them. <laughs> these are, I kid you not, chocolate chip thyme cookies with citrus zest. So, yeah, and I, I think I asked you, did you do fresh or dried thyme? Right. 
So this is fresh thyme. Okay. And the first time I made them, it was with orange zest. This is with lemon zest, which I apparently like you can be, also do. I feel like that would be good. I would think orange would be better, but as it turns out, these are, are quite good as well. So you will have to try them and see. And she and did make them up. So this recipe is original to this book. You're going to have to read Midsummer's Mayhem and check it out of your library or buy it to get the recipe. But hey, fun fact, the book is really good too. Sweet. Yay. Awesome. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> so I did like a sort of kids movie. You did a sort of kids these are, book. These, and... these grown-ups made these things, so it's totally cool. Totally. Kids aren't allowed to bake and take themselves to movies by themselves. Moving on. I feel like we need to do another crappy book. We've done like... I, okay. I feel like we've done... I'll some... find you a nice crappy crap book for next week. Yeah. Maybe, mm. maybe something that makes me angry. Okay. I'll see what I can do. Maybe something sexist. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> oh, see what I got. Oh, right. boy. Oh, boy. Until then, I've been Betsy. I'm Kate. Bye. Fuse 8 and Kate is a Fuse number 8 production. You can reach us at fusekate8 at gmail.com. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at Fuse underscore Kate. You can follow us on Instagram at Fuse 8 Kate. That's Fuse number 8 Kate. Follow us on iTunes and rate our podcast if you're so inclined. Our music is by Haddon Kime, and our one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater is Drew Atienza. Fuse 8 and Kate is a creation of Kate Ramsey and Betsy Byrne.